And now, our feature presentation. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to feature presentation. My name is Frankie Firmandi. And joining me, just like the good old days, are my co-hosts, Mike Hawkins. Hey, Frank. I couldn't get my AirPods to work. I was just trying. And Chris Prakowski. My AirPods are working just fine. So we're off to a good start. We have one set of AirPods between the three of us. Boys, when was the last time we did this? Uh, 2021. And what was the movie? What was our last movie? Um, Galaxy Quest? I think we didn't talk about it, though. I think we talked about your bachelor party. Yeah, I believe so. I, I think the bachelor party was the last was the last one we did. That's right. And for good reason. And for good reason. Well, uh, anyway, though, we're back. We are. And I want to talk about this AMC sightline pricing. Wow, just getting right into it. I love it. Let's do it. What do you guys think about this? Do you go to an AMC, either of you, like regularly? No. So I, I'm... A member of the Picture House, which has a location in Pelham and Bronxville, New York. Shouts out. Um, so I go there most of the time. And then, like, if I go to a like a, a multiplex, I don't think Ridge Hill is an AMC. I forget what Ridge Hill is, but for the most part, no, I'm not. I'm not an AMC guy. Um, so when I was still living on Long Island in Levittown, uh, I would go to the AMC in Levittown, which is one of the best theaters on, uh, the Island, in my opinion. Um, and ticket prices. You mean the one that was shut down because it was full of rats? Yeah. But then now it's not full of rats. Hmm. Uh, they redid it. Um, so the one that smelled like soup when we saw it. Yeah. But then they redid it. Um, and so. I, I just want to say, if it's shut down, it's for sure full of rats again. <laughs> it's not shut down. Uh, they no, shut frankly, it down for it, it reopened. They closed oh, yeah, the it, renovations. It reopened after. Yeah, they they whole, had a whole bunch of renovations. But uh, now the closest AMC to me is in Fresh Meadows in Queens. And the prices for that one are like $20 a, a movie, uh, like per ticket. Um, we did glass onion there and then we just did avatar because it's the only one that has the high frame rate uh imax so aside from that i'm really not an amc you know goer because the one closest to me is super expensive also just to confirm uh the only multiplexes near me are all showcase oh cinemas so no i i i honestly couldn't tell you the closest amc the closest amc to me might be the palisades mall and i'm not even sure if that's an amc mike i guess the closest one would probably be uh i think there's one in, like in northport out here on, on long island um like i'm never there i never have any reason to go so this pricing thing like doesn't really affect me. No, but it's still bad. It's such a bad yeah. precedent. It's, yeah. Um, 
I think it was. Uh, I think it was. Uh, who said it? Um, why am I blanking on the guy's name? Uh, the guy who played Frodo. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Uh, he he said that it kind of like penalizes you for being low income, and it he's right. Um, to put a square like box on the seating chart that is more expensive because it's a better seat is uh you know it's bad it's just bad also, it's not like, like i'm going to a, it's not like we're going to a baseball game and i'm paying front you know top seats top price to go sit front row i'm going to see fucking you know jurassic world i mean i think that was and your also not on top of that like... <laughs> And, but also on top of that, like, who's to say what the better? Like, I get the sightline thing, but like, yeah, who's to say that this is a better seat than this right next to it? Like, wh- where's the cutoff? Like, what? How long until? Okay, this is this square now is mm-hmm. the bigger square now mm-hmm. is the whole theater anyway. Like, I, I, which I think it may end up. Uh, being the end goal is that eventually all the seats are just, you know, whatever, $26 or whatever the price is going to be. It's it's their excuse to raise the prices without hitting you over the head with it. Which like, I, I get it. You know, theaters are still really hurting from the pandemic. Um, you know, you know, theater goers are going less and it's been, I know the demographics have been tough for like the 40 to 70 crowd are just not going to the movies anymore because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and even though it's obviously slowed down quite a bit, like it's it's not over, and so that demographic is kind of hesitant to go to the movies, um, which makes sense. But uh, I, you know, and again, you have to rationalize that these these theaters do need to make money, but like you're really doing it at the behest of your customers. For and yeah, instead of giving us, you know, a, a better movie-going experience, you're just saying, okay, well, you want to go to the movies at all? Here you go. It's mm-hmm. going to cost you this much. Right. Oh, you want to you wanna see the movie good? All right, well, you're going to pass more. You want to see the movie good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Okay, let me ask you guys this, though. I am a back row back row guy. Love the back row. You know, I don't think we've ever discussed this. I don't think so either. I am back row middle, if I can. Uh, if not, give me an aisle seat. If I, if I have to sit in the middle, if I can't get back row, I want an aisle seat. So I'm actually out of the, I'm out of the, the money square. Hmm. See, I, um... Yeah. I mean that, that, that seat immediately to the left or the right of the money square are going to be impossible to get for people. Those oh, yeah. are going to go immediately. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like if I go to, if I end up in an AMC, I might not sit next to the person I go to the AMC with. I might sit behind <laughs> them, just so we could both be in the not money right. money seat. Right. I uh, I'm the same as you, Frank. I always was a back row guy. I generally am when I go to the movies with my dad, who's one of the main people that I go to the movies with. Uh, um, me and my mom. My mom's a back row person. But when I go to the movies with uh, with my girlfriend, Jewel, who I'm sure will be mentioned again plenty of times because she wants to come on the show and talk about the fashion in Audrey Hepburn movies. Uh, Hell yeah. He's very insistent that we can't sit that far back. 
because oftentimes we'll be in these fancy new recliner theaters that will have those uh those like walls you know like in in dividing the stadium seating and if you recline too far back you can't see if if you're not of a certain height you know that barrier as you recline that barrier then rises up it's cutting off part of your picture well we went and saw the new Candyman remake which is not new anymore but we saw Candyman and had that exact issue. She couldn't recline in the seat because she missed the. She only saw the candy. She didn't see the man. <laughs> that is fair. I didn't even think of that. Mostly because I don't like. I said I. I go to my my little picture house, uh-huh. which is still like stadium seating, not 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 fancy recliners. Which is isn't very this nice. the one where you sent us a picture where they sat you in just like a utility closet? No, so that that is one of that's the the screening room in Pelham, which is literally it's it's, it's twelve shitty recliners in a fucking closet with a with a projector mounted to the ceiling. Where I watched uh, Worst Person in the World, which was awesome. Um, It was me. It was also hilarious because I'm at the time was twenty eight or twenty nine, so like. it was within the last year or so, whenever that came out, and was probably the youngest person in the twelve seat. It, it sold out show; all twelve seats filled up. But I was probably thirty five years younger than the next youngest person. It was real weird. Um, my go to is I like three options for me are first middle middle. Like if it's like middle row middle A to the, F, the, I the go I like row D. Yeah, if it's like row like A to F, I go row D, middle and middle seats. Then I'll go in in aisle like Frank. I like the aisle, uh, and then lastly, I'll go back row. As a big boy, an aisle is yeah. necessary. It's the same thing as a plane. I don't want to. I don't want a window seat. It's Windows just are easy fine. I can out. look out the window. I can look here's across the, the people. And look here's out the, the thing. Uh, I want an aisle. That I guess I guess separates me from you freaks. I'm not going in and out. Like if I go into a movie, I'm seeing. Oh no! I'm oh no! 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 no. I'm not, That's not what I mean. I mean, I'm like down. movie ends, I'm up and out. Mm. Not, no, and I don't even care about that. I'm, I thought you were I, saying, Frank, you you, you got to go wee wah. You know, you're getting no, up no, and no. going and coming back. I'm, you got to refill your popcorn. And I am a former, formerly almost three hundred pound person. So that extra, instead of being squished between two seats and potentially a stranger. Now, um, even if I got a stranger on one side in the packed house, at least I got an aisle to to lean over mm-hmm. and to spread out a little bit. I mean, as a man that's six three or six four, depending on the day, I I relate with you. You know, you got to yeah. be able to stretch out your leg. Yeah, I've got I, an aching knee. And again, like I was wider than. Molasses. I think you're you're used to being tall. I was not used to being that wide for a little while, so I needed to to mitigate as well as i could mm-hmm. and have as much room as possible when you find out like oh perfect example when i saw the irishman at the ifc theater when i went to that those seats were made in like 1882 apparently because oh those are God. not real those are not real people seats mm-hmm. i did not fit and we were in a packed house where there was and there was four of us thankfully i sat between two friends because when i did have to spread out I'm not elbowing some weird lady in the fucking in the side. <laughs> like I get to elbow Martin in the side instead of right. some stranger. My, Mike and I went and saw Memoria at IFC Theater in like December of 2021, and those seats are so goddamn uncomfortable. Yeah, 
it's it's crazy. It's crazy how bad they are. Yeah. Which art uh, house, art house theater, you know, tons of old people there to see Memoria on like a Thursday afternoon. Chris keeps checking his phone the whole movie. Oh, they must have hated it. Was, it was a blast. You know, okay. I was well, restless at that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That thing is that thing's a was a rough watch. I didn't care for it. it. Have not seen it. You got to get a hold of the reel projected in your room. Well, I mean, you can you can import the uh, there's a region B uh, Blu-ray release. No, no, he's got to he's got to get a hold of the reel. It's circling. It should be in Charlotte right now. <laughs> yeah, that, they really the dropped. I'll that catch the next flight out. Huh? Yeah, right. Um. Okay. Yeah, so, so while we're talking about art house theaters, real quick, uh, Mike. Hey. Down on Houston Street. Well, I'm blanking on the name. I said on Film Forum. on Houston. Film Forum, though. Yeah. Where we saw uh, Seven Samurai. Which ruled? Not bad. Comfortable seats. Big enough seats. They're, they're a little great. tight, but they're better than IFC Center. For sure. For for that kind of theater, I was pleasantly surprised. There's um, there's an AMC. Actually, you know what? The one AMC. I like how I said there's an AMC and like I never go. Meanwhile, there's an AMC that I've gone to like as recently as a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> that there is an AMC that I go to sometimes. Uh, there's one out here. It's technically Stony Brook in name, but it's in like Lake Grove. It's across mm. from the Smith Haven Mall if you're a local. And they just recently redid it, and they have this IMAX theater there that sounds great, looks great. But the weird thing is they put in new recliner seats that only recline like halfway. Like, you oh, know, is, um, the thing, is the thing on the armrest and it's like... Yeah, it, it doesn't fully do everything. You like have to say, like, you know, like say like this is you fully reclined. Yeah. I'm doing a hand thing for the listeners. Yeah. This is like how your legs are. Like yes. you only get so like your little feet are down. That's that's the seat that I had for, for Avatar. That that's was the seat I had for Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. It may just very be that IMAX. I don't know. Not not a great theater going experience, but you know, this past Monday I did have a good theater going experience when I saw Knock at the Cabin. Ooh. Oh, really, really quick. Just want to close out the AMC the thing a little bit. Uh, I think Regal is going to have a really big helping from that business decision by AMC. Hopefully it just like ends up a wash and they, because there's been a ton of backlash online uh, for AMC and maybe they just, you know, nix it after a while. Um, but We'll have to see. The, it, and, you know, like we said, it's it's not a good precedent, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see what happens with it. But no good, very bad. Hell yeah, yeah. Hopefully, like Regal and Showcase and everybody don't follow suit. Yeah, um, exactly. And I'm telling you right now, the Pelham Picture House, where I currently get like five dollar tickets because I'm a member, ever tries to pull this shit. I will not be renewing my membership. Yeah, I get to jack it up to six fifty, Frank. What are you gonna do? Cry, because I like my picture house and my screenings with eight people in them. You know how great Babylon was that I didn't have to sit next to people. Tremendous. You know how great the Fablemans was with four other people that all didn't find certain things I found funny was <laughs> tremendous. Because when I <laughs> laugh and nobody else does, what makes me laugh harder than that? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Spoiler, those were the last two fucking movies I've seen. I had a great 
time with only four other people in the theater when I saw Knock at the Cabin this past Monday. <laughs> Chris, oh, you hear that? Chris, you, you knocked at the Somebody's cabin? Somebody's knocking. I Somebody's don't know because your mic is doing that thing where it filters out outside noise. <laughs> Somebody's knocking. Knock, 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 knock. There you go. <laughs> Chris trying to do an audio bit and his equipment not working. Mm-hmm. Is hilarious. Well, I mean, his equipment actually fully working, doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, True. I guess so. Uh, so, like, um, spoiler free mostly because Frank still hasn't seen it. Uh, but just I, like, I'd also, a... I don't care that so much. So, when he like... kills the little girl, he gives her a Batista bomb. Hell yeah. Now I gotta go see it. Uh, but yeah, like I just wanted to talk about it just for a minute, because like I thought it was great. I mean, I feel it's, like M Night stuff is. you kind of like grade on a curve, you know? Like I would never be like, oh, this M Night movie I'm comparing to like John Houston's The Asphalt Jungle. You know, like I would never compare those. But as far as like an M Night movie where you know what you're getting, it rocked. Like it was great. Oh, it was yeah. His best in a couple. It was better than old. It was better than glass. Oh, absolutely. That was, the, yeah. that was my next question. Was it better than old? It was better than I, old. It was better than I glass. like old. I like old. There's uh, something but it's wrong with better than old. Yeah, I know. I do need to watch old still. I, I, mean, I, I need to. You haven't taken a trip to the beach? Name. You remember how fired up I was for that old trailer? Dude, yeah. That line where she says, there's something wrong with this beach. There's something beach. wrong like, with this beach. I like clipped it on my phone and would send it to you guys. <laughs> I was so fired up for old. And then I that's when my I girlfriend really, almost broke up with me. I really thought what would get the podcast back was you going to see old and being like, we have to talk about this movie. <laughs> Frank, I thought you, that was going to be the one. Do you know this story that my girlfriend almost broke up with me because of old? I, I do. I feel like I... I heard the gist but i've never heard the full story we saw it in theaters and she hated it so much that she almost left the theater and subsequently left me she was like i was ready to just leave and just go home and that would have been it i really need to see old (laughs) the thing is frank there's something wrong with that beach you know when we log off tonight i'm probably going to watch old yeah that's definitely where your priority should be at so it's it's pretty it's like it's pretty damn good knock at the cabin um it it really is Batista um, is like legitimately great. He like it, yeah. the movie would not work without him. I well, love that I, he's like the best actor out of all the wrestlers turned actors. Very much so. Um, it, you know, Mike. Uh, I think what's so effective about casting Batista in it, and as as well as the way that it's written, is like it's kind of the opposite of the way Schwarzenegger was used in so much of his uh, career, where. He's where just Arnold like would put that cookie down, <laughs> and now Dave picked the cookie up. Right. Well, where Schwarzenegger would be cast as like, they're like, oh, he's a mattress salesman, and mm-hmm. you know they just never mention it at all, and it, they just his say name like, it's is Mitch thing. Abrams, but he sounds <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. He, right. Sa- he has the Austrian yeah. accent. He's like yeah. He's born and raised in Minnesota, and yeah, he's born and raised in Minnesota. He talks like this. And put the cookie down. And he's now. like a kindergarten cop. Hello, yeah. my name is Steve uh, Abbott. <laughs> but like Batista, in so many of his of his roles, and especially in Knock at the Cabin, the first time he is seen on screen, the characters say, "This guy's huge." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so you like, get it out of the way. Yeah, and it's and that's what it's it's super effective. Also, just putting him along uh, alongside the cutest little child oh, uh, 
and like when he, sh- you know, there's the shot of him shaking her hand and it just engulfs her, his, his big paw just engulfs her hand. But right, also, nice close I mean, up on a Superman tattoo. Yeah. But it's just a very like gentle, gentle, but terrifying performance. And that's, um, the, that's been the key with him. I mean, with this, with uh, is Blade Runner. Hum- is the humanity of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This big hulking man who is a normal man. Like, and that's, I think that's the, the key to it as well. Like, you would have expected, I think, say, like, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know us and know that we're all, unfortunately, wrestling fans. So we all, you know, have been watching Dave Batista for 15, 20 years, I guess now. And I think when he first started branching out into the movies, mm-hmm. I think, like, the role that we just saw him recently have in Glass Onion is what you would have expected Kind of as a blanket statement for his career, which he was still very good in. But that kind of like over the top. I'm I'm yes. a macho muscle man. Comedic, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Or or like a, using tracks where it's yeah, you're flexing the comedic chops a little bit too, but you're still like the yeah. badass action alien stab him up guy. Yeah, but but to Mike's point with Mike with Glass Onion, using his body as a punchline almost, or just like to fill a a, sort of a stereotype of what you'd assume a guy like this is. Um, But and and it's it's uh, you know subverting expectations by like you said, Mike, things like uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine and this. Um, It's crazy. Also, really effective casting of him. And use it, of him. In in terms of subverting expectations, I was really impressed also at how Glass Onion subverted my expectations by being a bad movie. But yeah, <laughs> Batista is just great. Um, he really, uh, I, you know, it, it was a delight. He's really tremendous okay. in that movie. Yeah. I thought Jonathan Groff was really good. He, he is really good. He, He's really he, good. He doesn't get a ton to do, but he's he's I thought very good in it. Yeah, he's good. Uh, I thought the whole cast was good. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean Rupert Grint is also uh, disturbing in it, uh, Mm -hmm. but also very very good. And there's a good uh, you know twist there. I also think this character. I also think this was one of the best M Night cameos. Also, oh, it's so funny. It's so good. Yeah. Um. I want to go through Batista's uh, filmography post Guardians of the Galaxy, just to sort of highlight the amount of I mean, like directors and auteurs that he's working with. Like, can I just so, say I would love just honorable mention for The Wrong Side of Town, which is quite possibly yeah. the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Batista's in it. He's not good in it, but nobody's good in it. RVD is <laughs> um, in it. Rob Van Dam. Did I need to bring this up? You know, you know who else is in it, Frank? You know who else is in it? Who else is in it? Big Daddy V. <laughs> R.I.P. Mabel Viscera Nelson Frazier. He is in Wrong Side is, of Town. Do I have to watch Wrong Side of Town again? Because I don't remember this. Buy it on Blu-ray. Or DVD. It's probably not a Blu-ray. Well, okay. I just need to point also, out. Also, Jaw Rule is in it, too. Jaw Rule and Stormy Daniels. I, I didn't. I didn't know that because I didn't know who she was at the she's, time. She's the the blonde lady that is friends with Batista. Mm. I use friends oh. very loosely. But wrong side of town. The steroid scene still blows my mind. It made no sense. RVD, I think, just had a fucking juice that day 
and they filmed it and put it in the movie. I don't get it. Wrong Side of Town sucks. I don't remember it. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. Dude, it's legit. Like, towards the end, he just, like, does steroids in the bathroom right before, like, the big climactic action scene. And it, it's like, why? What does this have to do with anything? We should... Okay. If we bring back the old format for one one movie, it should be the wrong side of town. <laughs> uh, it, we won't, but it should be. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Maybe for the Patreon. Hell yeah. Okay, so... Sorry. <laughs> Just wrong side of town. <laughs> I had, whenever, whenever anybody comes up from that movie, I have to. So Batista, in terms of like the auteurs that he's worked with, right? Post, uh, Post Guardians, which is... I think we can all agree his breakout. Um, he gets Spectre in a, a a wordless role, but super effective as like a henchman in a good fight with Daniel Craig. So oh, yeah. Spectre with uh, with Sam Mendes. Then after that, Guardians two. But after that, he gets uh, to work with Denis Villeneuve in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, who he works with a second time in Dune. Um, you've got. Uh, I mean, you know, like it or not, Zack Snyder is an auteur, works with him on Army of the Dead. Which, not, I don't think I don't think Army of the Dead's as bad as people say. I still have not oh. seen it. Um, guess I, I would also consider. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd also consider Ryan Johnson an auteur at this point. So he gets Glass Onion with Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, M. Night. Knock at the cabin and Villeneuve a third time in Dune Part Two. Um, I know Mike and I had had texted back and forth a little bit, but he's certainly going to be used by somebody like Nolan or uh, you know somebody of that ilk going forward and really like blow up uh, if he's not already. And I legitimately think he is like five years away from a, a best supporting actor nomination. For something, yeah. yeah, I could see it because he just he kills it and stands out in every single performance. I think, and he's extremely he, well liked. It seems like everyone yeah, that he and, works with is so glowing about him. And well, the reason that I wanted to bring up the auteurs is you've got Ryan Johnson saying, uh, who on the Glass Onion uh, uh, press tour, I believe, made note that he believes Batista is the best of the of best actor of the wrestlers. Uh, James Gunn has spoken glowingly of him several times. Uh, obviously, Villeneuve, if he keeps fucking using him, uh, and Villeneuve is a very well-respected director as well. Uh, there's something that is very, obviously, there's a charm to him. He's, like you said, very well-liked, and people speak glowingly of him when they work with him. Chris, to go off your best supporting act, I think Villeneuve is the, the one... Like if he does something that's not like a, a Dune, like not an adaptation, not like a like Blade Runner's one thing, mm-hmm. Dune's another thing. If he goes and does like a like a movie written and directed by him, like something like that, I think that's that's the one. Like similar mm-hmm. to with Nolan, but it, obviously it's somebody he's worked with already. Yeah, that that that's like a yeah, that's such a gimme. Yeah, but uh, I mean, knock at the cabin is I, I i really really enjoy i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it um but i thought really effective and batista is absolutely just yeah absolutely terrifying and uh a fantastic performance speaking uh, of absolutely- 
of absolutely terrifying and fantastic performance. Chris, you just, I think within the past week, watched for the first time ever The Mm -hmm. Silence of the Lambs. No, I don't think that's right. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. Yes, I did. You're right. No, yeah, it's within the last two weeks. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I did. Um, It was all right. Mm. So next, uh, I believe we wanted to talk about... uh, No, so yeah, (laughs) Silence of the Lambs is fucking unbelievable. Um, Something I just... I put off for... Too I mean, long. decades, decades. Too um, when I was a kid, I'd walk past that cover in Blockbuster and it just scared the shit out of me. Me too, uh, that moth. Yeah, so, so I would never, I, and I kind of like put it off for so long uh, because it terrified me as a child. And then you would see the parodies. I mean, every, I think maybe every single show or movie has done a parody of uh <laughs> silence of the lambs at some point in the last 30 years so i felt like i'd seen it already um but it is uh so goddamn scary uh and not even scary but like uh not even scary but like just chilling um and like anxiety inducing it's a, it's an incredible thriller um not as gory as i thought it would be Maybe the goriest scene is when he, you know, strings the guy up by his intestines along that cage in the gymnasium jail cell thing. Um, I mean, but he even does it's, wear it's, a person. He wears another person. And that, yeah. It's but, crazy man. because remember, Chris, literally less than two months ago when we were in the Museum of the Moving Image and I said to you, look at these incredible production drawings from Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And there's the drawing of the guy being strung up and you're like, I don't know what this is. This doesn't mean anything to me. And now think, now you have to go back and see him. Yeah. Because now you'll understand. Frank, which first of all, Frank, we still need to go with you also. But they have little yes. miniature set models of like the basement and everything. Fuck. It's incredible. Yeah. And I was saying this to Chris and he's like, oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I was like, I've never seen it. I don't know. Oh, look, they have a, 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 a reproduction of Eddie Murphy's makeup as Gumby. I'm more interested in that. So, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, one of my favorite movies. Mike, I know one of your favorite movies. It's a perfect film. Yes, I read. Perfect. I also read the book recently. And oh, okay. the film, the book is obviously, like all books, the book is way more detailed. You get way more Hannibal Lecter. I'd argue the movie is still better. Because less Hannibal Lecter makes him scarier. Have you, well, that's the that's thing because in the book you get like his inner monologue, right? Yes, you which, get you get a lot of Lecter, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong; it's awesome. Which is awesome, but, but that's also why the movie is so effective that you don't yes, really know what. Yes, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Also, I think if I had read the book first and then saw the movie, I would still have the same opinion. Much more effective seeing the movie and then reading the book. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to read the book now. I would love to read the book, but I'm so damn behind on books. You got to stop. Dragon, the Red Dragon. I would read Red Dragon first, by the way, because that's the, the first lecture book. I've actually put a moratorium on buying books, Chris, because I have too many right now that I haven't read. Yeah. Um, part of, I mean, if, if we can talk performances a little bit uh, with, with uh, Silence of the Lambs, 
the obvious has to go to uh, Anthony Hopkins, but so much of it is just like his fucking eyes. His eyes are like piercing. Um, And it's so effective because of uh, Demi's camera where the way that he shoots every man is they are staring down the lens of the camera, staring into Clarice's eyes Um, and like just leering at her and lingering on her. Um, Jonathan Demi, man. And the way that what the what a filmography. Yeah, well, the I mean, when he it was like the last like two years or so, a lot of like film Twitter, there were so many bad takes of like of him of like, oh, you know, you make one good movie 30 years ago and then and then trash forever. And it's like you you have no idea what the fuck he made. I mean, like he made the uh, on top of like his great like narrative films. He also directed the greatest concert film of all time. Mm-hmm. And the talking head stopped making sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, something wild. Chris and I, you both absolutely love Rachel getting married. Yes. Philadelphia, obviously. I mean, the, the guy was incredible. I, I have yeah. never seen Philadelphia, but something wild is Ray Liotta's greatest performance outside of Goodfellas. Hmm. Uh, something wild is on my shelf from Criterion that I have to dig into. Uh, oh, you've, you've never seen it? Still haven't, yeah. Oh, sweetie. Dude. You would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. But Also, Frank, didn't you mean his best performance besides Hubie Halloween? Yeah, my mistake. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> what a solid top three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the third, the third is Observe and Report, right? Yep. You're right. Okay. So... You watching this, Chris, was a, a part of what, what I would like to assume is a now an ongoing project of yours, but realistically, you're probably going to stall out on it now. To go but through the an ongoing project, right, to go through all of your purchase criteria. Yes, and I am going that. through, my priority right now is the Oscar movies, but along with the Oscar movies is all of the purchased Blu-rays and Criterions that I have not watched in the last two years since I've I mean, them. Silence of the so, Lambs yeah. was an Oscar movie. It was yes. Well, I mean the Oscar movies for Oscar movies for this year. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, so we're in the we're in the middle. Of, next? Do you know what would be next? Next for me, I believe, is M. Oh, so nice, good. great yeah. movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, something also. I remember, I remember distinctly, like growing up, the trivia fact of Silence of the Lambs is like, oh well. Anthony Hopkins wins best actor and he's only in 16 minutes of it. But that is only counting literally when his face is on the screen. Mm -hmm. He's still in scenes. He's still in like 35 minutes of the movie. It's just not him on scene where it's like, where it's like he's speaking, but he's not on screen or when he's, like the scene is still going and he's still in the background and the scene is going because he's involved that's still him in the scene. Right. It's yeah. not like he's wholly absent from the movie. Right. Times. Right. Which is always what I, I thought was like one of the reasons I was like, well, this is an iconic performance, but like, I feel, you know, that it's a two hour movie and I, I'm going to watch this thing and for 15 minutes and then it's just going to be done. But no, so much of it revolves around him and he's so important. Even if he's going around the backgrounds of the scenes or whatever, like it, mainly the gymnasium one, uh, with the incredible elevator sequence 
and then ambulance sequence where he rips the face off, which was like the best like prosthetic work I've ever seen of like a mask like that. Rips it off and then stabs a man in the or no, Billy clubs the guy in the in the in the truck in the in the in the ambulance. But also it like I said, with the gore, um it subverts your expectations because there's the scene where he uh you know they they reveal the pen right they reveal that he has the pen yes. from Clarice and then they don't do anything with it for like half an hour yeah, and then ever for the and then off. he teases it again and then takes it out of his mouth or, or takes it out of his mouth teases it again so you remember oh shit yeah he's got that and then undoes his handcuffs and when he bites the guy's face you expect him to pull away and it's just going to be shooting blood out like if it was a movie made today uh, oh. by any director if he bites the guy in the neck when it he would pulls look like away, a Tarantino just, scene yeah it's just gushing blood but yeah. no he just pulls away and he's got a little bite on his chin <laughs> and it's and it's easy because it's more realistic I don't think it's cartoony at all no, um, it, which rules because again yeah. like the subject matter it shouldn't be played cartoony right like, right you and, could get away with that in a in like a Reservoir Dogs in a Pulp Fiction. Yes, I agree. And there's temporarily and going to that cartoony in terms of like portrayals. I mean, Buffalo Bill is one Dude, of the most terrifying performances with uh, some of the ever. Headline is hilarious lines. Oh, was she a great big fat person? Is, I I have been saying that to Marie. Frank, oh. I've been saying that to Maria for the last week and a half. Every single day, about twice a day, I I say to her, "Oh, was she a great big fat person?" But not only that, th- my favorite line in the entire fucking movie, the entire movie, is when he abducts the girl. When they're getting the first of all, mm-hmm. hilarious that he's trying. How how did he get that couch? Halfway right. into that right. into that van. Well, I mean, it's it's arm. modeled after it's modeled after uh, Ted Bundy with the yes. the cast, yeah. But hilarious. And when she asks, uh, she second guesses herself. She, she knows this she is usually what herself, happens. Yeah, and it's she goes like, like you you could see it in her face. Great, I forget what the girl's name is that plays the the girl that gets abducted. I mean, every single well, person is incredible in it. I think it's yeah. Brooke Smith is but, the actress's name. Yes, yeah. I think so. But you could see the. Oh, this is such a dumb idea. Yeah, All right, this fine. is Let usually where people guy. get abducted. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And when yeah. she goes, "Oh, do you need any help?" and he turns around and goes, "Would you?" It's the greatest line of all time. So his the would you is the fucking best. Yeah. yeah, it makes me laugh every single time. It's incredible, incredible. Um, how, how they did the night vision scene is fucking, it's just baffling to me. It's impossible. It's an impossible thing to pull off, but it's so goddamn effective and good. Well, it was so Um, long ago too that they pulled it off. I I know. I know. Um, you know, one of the, I think one of the big things is, uh, as well, I obviously Jodie Foster's performance. I was going to um, say it's incredible that we haven't even mentioned Jodie Foster. Yeah, and probably Criminal will get canceled that we saved her for last. But uh, um, you know, Welcome we back. yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, she is so it, it's not a it's a strange um, Oscar win 
because if you go like historically with Oscar wins, especially best actress wins, it's always a very big showy emotional performance with a scene that's like screaming and crying and stuff. And there's none of it for her in it. It is very soft spoken. She's very meek. She's, she's trying to be one of the guys, but she knows she's not one of the guys and she'll never be looked at as one of the guys, but trying to prove herself in this field. Um, so, by the way, and, and, that, and, and that's and so much of it is I'm sorry. And so much of it is yeah. the way that Demi shoots the men in the movie leering mm-hmm. at her, you know, like, yeah, but I'm sorry, Frank, go ahead. That, so that's a huge part of one of the things like all the extra Lecter stuff, obviously awesome, because you get to you get a little more Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. How could mm-hmm. you not love it? The the Clarice stuff from the book like the insight into how she feels about that, as opposed to just like the, the camera work. That's why the camera work is so effective because you get that in the text of the book. And obviously that's impossible to pull off in a movie. Yeah. And then Demi does it. It's yeah. it's so good. She's able to pull off like, you know, her, her the, the uh, FBI uh, agent or, or whatever, uh, you know, that, that is running the operation uh, was it Jack Crawford. Yeah, Who's Crawford. a huge character in the book also and barely okay. in the movie. Yeah, well, I think it's effective that he's not all in the movie. Yeah, but no, yeah, no. But Crawford... It's the same thing as the, the Lecter. Like, he doesn't need to be in the movie. His presence yeah. is more felt in the scenes he's in because he's not constantly there. Yeah. I think there's the – I think there in, in sending her, there's the uh, – you know, obviously they're like, well, if we sent a man, he probably won't talk to him. We'll send you, which will intrigue him. And, you know, maybe he'll want to fuck you or something and he'll he'll want to talk to you because of that. But like, uh, you know, at the same time, they say to him, like, also, don't let him get into your head. He'll destroy you. So, like, as she's talking to him, you see, like, you see the the like trembling in her mouth, like her trembling in her in her face as she's she's fucking cold, uh, like throughout this whole thing. Um it's it's just it's just an a really effective, unbelievable performance that is so like it's very nuanced, it's very subtle, um, it's super understated. And you compare for... it's very understated, and you compare it who she's playing against Hopkins, who is very big in it. Uh, I know he goes. I know Which... I've, I've I've only heard he goes bigger in the other Hannibal stuff, like in Red Dragon and Hannibal. Like he does, like the late career, like Pacino stuff. Like, yeah. like hey, hey, well, you know what? You hired Hopkins. You're getting Hopkins. I'm doing Which... it. Like, yeah. But it, which is yeah, that's also it's, crazy. It's that, still like... a fairly big performance in this, and I mean, Levine is also going pretty big in this as well. It's so... also insane that he's Lieutenant yeah. Stoudemire for Monk. I Just know. Saying. Well, I, I said <laughs> the last thing I'll say on it, but I, I, I said I said to Mike, uh, who who didn't respond to it. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds right. Ted Levine is like it's such a slam dunk Oscar nomination that it's such a tra- it's like a travesty that it did not get nominated because it is one of the most iconic screen performances in history, right? That's the other thing of this movie's legacy is it has three of the most iconic screen performances ever, right? Buffalo Bill has been lampooned and parodied for 30 years. There's an entire segment in Joe Dirt in which they do Buffalo Bill. Dude, there's an entire family guy sequence. There's an entire family guy sequence where Chris does the the, uh, goodbye horses dance. Yeah, Dirt 2 is 
Jay does the Jay Goodbye does the Horses, horses dance. Yeah. Like, it's um, in everything. Yeah, like yeah. culturally, Goodbye Horses became like such a huge thing afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it was probably like, <laughs> probably was like, well, if we nominate him, what scene would we even show? We can't yeah, show any clip. Maybe yeah. him, maybe him luring her into the van. Like your... that's the only thing we could do. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just him opening the door. It's just, just... <laughs> would you? Ted Levine for Silence of the Lambs. Would you? Would you? And the next person. <laughs> right, right. Or yeah, yeah. Or or it would just be him opening the door, going, "Oh, oh, is she a great big fat person?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, that's the thing is I think because it's a fucking terrifying bone chilling performance. Um, and I, I think, I think it's a travesty that it wasn't nominated, but I think it has to have been because what the fuck clip would we show? (laughs) It's him, you know, you're not going to show the tuck scene at the Oscars, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, um, there's obviously, there's obviously a great, uh, you know, today backlash on uh, its themes in terms of gender and sexuality, but as three straight cis men, I don't know that we can talk about that. So, uh, what else we got to talk about here? Frank, I think you want to talk about the DC slate a little? Yes. So, James Gunn, who we formally mentioned, uh, is the co CEO of uh warner brothers pictures or whatever whatever his his title is um he's the co-ceo of like the dc stuff through warner brothers and they announced a whole lot of stuff including that the multiverse is like a real thing so like animated movies tv shows uh everything's gonna after flashpoint everything kind of resets and uh they announced a lot of actually cool stuff um including like a james gunn written and directed superman movie called superman legacy um we've got an authority movie which the authority is like a it's an old Wildstorm book that which is absolutely insane that they're doing like Wildstorm stuff as part of this like insane especially as like the second movie of this Mm -hmm. um for those that don't know, the Authority is basically a bunch of Justice League analogs uh, in a darker and grittier tone, and they work very well against. Like once they tied into the actual DC universe, they work very well as like almost foils, almost counterparts to the characters that they're based on. Um, I'm very excited to see where that goes. We've got a Brave and the Bold movie, which is going to be a Batman and Robin movie. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is based on a recent uh, Supergirl story that is very well received that I have not read yet. Uh, most importantly to me, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Doing another Swamp Thing movie. Swamp Thing, probably my favorite DC character. Uh, the Swamp Thing movie from the 80s, not great, pretty good. It, it, it's it's good, it's campy, it's, it's like a shitty 80s movie. Wes Craven. That I enjoy. It's Wes Craven, so that, that's where you go, but it's not mm-hmm. great. Supposedly, the new one's going to be James Mangold. Holy shit. Oh, you I not heard that? It. I had not heard that. Yeah, that that's, rules. That's the rumor that's going to be uh, The Swamp Thing TV show from a couple of years ago also was pretty good. It didn't get as Swamp Thingy as I wanted it to. It was kind of a little bit slow, but it was good. It should have gotten more than one season. 
Um, but yeah, dude, he announced Swamp Thing in the first batch of movies. Like, I can't, I can't not be super excited. Well, then what about and the TV shows that were both? So about? TV shows also. Okay, Creature Commandos, which is basically like, like the DC version of Frankenstein, like old, old, like supernatural characters together. That's going to be an animated show, I believe. Uh, Amanda Waller is getting a show. So shout out Viola Davis, who is incredible. In everything, like, like her getting her own show rules. There's going to be a Booster Gold show. There's going to be a Green Lantern show with Hal Jordan and John Stewart in the vein of True Detective. This is very exciting. The first season of True Detective. Look at how much Chris has checked out when he started going off about the heroes. I know. He's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, True Detective. With ring slingers, let's go. And uh, also Very Paradise tight. Lost, which is a uh, Themyscira where Wonder Woman's from. So I think it's a like a origin of like the Amazons yeah, yeah, leading into Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So that sounds cool. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and that's a supposedly just the first half of the first batch of stuff. Like how Marvel has phases. This is apparently the first half of the first phase of this DC thing. And they already have the first two phases, for lack of a better term, planned out. So that's a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Uh, James Gunn, I mean, based on based on the Guardians movies, based on his Suicide Squad, based on his Peacemaker show, I think we're in good hands. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it, I think it's exciting as a fan of the comic books, them actually promoting stuff with the comic books is very nice. Um, it's a change of pace for Marvel. Who's like, yeah, you could find this QR code in the background of our show to maybe see a comic book that this is based on. Maybe like that's the extent of them doing it, uh, tying it into the comic books, which seems like a counterproductive thing, but yeah, it, it very exciting. Very exciting times. Especially considering thing, DC's track record of not making great stuff. That's the thing. I, I think j- just to get some sort of like freshening up and one cohesive vision for it is at the very least interesting. And also just, you know, I liked some of the Snyder stuff, but just in general to shake off that stink. Mm-hmm. All of it had like that stigma. You know, like it was it was yeah. all that that same kind of vibe and it's, it, it's good to try to get away from that. Well, yeah, they, I, they I, try to force 10 years of movies into like a four-year window to get yeah, just to compete with to compete with the avengers and instead of actually building it up whereas this seems like it's going to be it doesn't like we're not worried about bringing everybody together yet like solo movies yeah everything's in the same multiverse everything's going to tie in at some point but take your time put out good stuff and then tie it in that, that's how marvel worked granted the incredible hulk's not a great movie granted the first Thor movie is not a great movie, but they put stuff out that was loosely tied together until it all came together with the Avengers. So uh, yesterday, news broke from there's some website, uh, I guess like some news outlet. I'm not familiar with them. It's called Giant Freaking Robot. Never heard of it, but they apparently have like a proven track record. They have like sources that they like, swear by. 
they've like they have like a whole article you could look at of like all the stuff that was proven correct that they reported based on their sources. Um, they broke the news yesterday that Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. has been cast as the iconic monster in Guillermo del Toro. I'm laughing because I just got a text message about this. Uh, Andrew Garfield has been cast as the iconic monster in Guillermo del Toro's upcoming Frankenstein movie. Guillermo said uh, on Twitter recently, uh, I think within this past week, that he uh, his next movie would be live action, and that after that he was opening a bad stop motion, which mm-hmm. uh, obviously I was extremely excited about because Pinocchio I think was was maybe my top five movies last year. Pinocchio but, was uh, awesome. Guillermo, you guys know I, I'm I'm obsessed with that round man. I love Guillermo. He's <laughs> probably my favorite director. I'm I'm so fascinated with his his views on how he yes. Uh, Jewel wants me to let everyone know that she's the one that informed me of this. She's the one that told me this. And I then oh, Andrew Garfield? Garfield? What? Yes, about Andrew Garfield is? Yes. Uh, I've been alerted that I need to, to let everyone know. So, uh, Guillermo, like, beyond just, like, being a fan of his work, uh, you know, I'm I'm such a fan of just the way he approaches film and his, his yeah. views on it and monsters and the supernatural and everything. I think it's so fascinating. I have multiple books over here you know his little I, creatures yes he, he he loves his monsters i you know we're recording um sitting at my desk and i have literally right above me i have this this photo <laughs> from the pinocchio exhibit at moma uh just which i look at you know during the day uh i don't know it's it just it it, it it him and his work like it it does something uh like inside me like, like i just i i connect to it and i feel like to him on like a visceral level um, and Frankenstein, if you know anything about him, is like that is like his rosebud. That is mm. his reason for everything that he has done. Hell yeah! So to be able to like, do, and granted, this website reported this. This hasn't been officially announced. The website says it's going to be as part of his deal with Netflix. So it'll probably so it'll go to Netflix. Um, but just the thought of him doing this project has me so absolutely just like over the moon excited and the kicker is also so andrew garfield is the monster and according to this article dr frankenstein is oscar Isaac. that's perfect so i'm just completely just over the moon i i I can't wait Um, i'm dying for some sort of official announcement just something you know give give me give me something about this but uh, I love it. It's it's great news. I mean, just give us the official announcement that Guillermo's doing Frankenstein. I know. I, the, the casting, the casting is great. I love it. Like, I hope that that's true. I yeah. love Andrew Garfield. Just just confirm that he's given us Franken, like him doing Frankenstein, and our boy Robert Eggers doing Nosferatu. Oh my God, the Robert Eggers Nosferatu. Come on, baby. Come oh, on, give it to me. You saw you saw Defoe got cast in that. Yes. Oh my god, I cannot wait. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, Defoe um kind of reprising the role. <laughs> right. Right. The money <laughs> Willem Defoe. Willem No, Willem Defoe Oscar nominated for playing Nosferatu in 2000. He's not playing Nosferatu here. 
he oh he's not playing Nosferatu here. No. no. Oh, I thought he was playing Nosferatu, Nosferatu here. He was what, he what was he played doing? Nosferatu. No, I'm not. The movie Shadow of the Vampire. He played Nosferatu in that movie and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. You ever seen Shadow of the Vampire, Frank? No. Uh, let's see. Oh wow, it, Frank! It's actually, not a bit. Frank, this plot sounds entire. First of all, it's on your watch list, Frank. You're acting like you don't know. That what doesn't mean is. I've seen it, but I it, also <laughs> didn't realize he was in it. But also, th- this plot sounds uh, entirely up our alley. Director F.W. Murnau makes a Faustian pact with a vampire to get him to star in his 1922 film Nosferatu. Okay, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I, and it's it's yeah. just John Malkovich is Murnau and Willem yes, Dafoe is Max Schreck. That's... Yeah, Defoe plays Nosferatu. He's Oscar nominated. So in this upcoming uh, Nosferatu, he's not playing Nosferatu. No. Well, why the fuck wouldn't he be playing Nosferatu? Because Bill Skarsgård is, which is awesome. Casting. Oh, for fuck's oh. sake! Awesome. This casting. guy and his weird eyes. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. great. He's like a Have vampire. Have you seen Nosferatu? You got a weird face and long fingers. Oh, great! Lily Rose Depp is in this thing. Does she upset you? I don't know. I've never seen her or anything. Hmm. Uh, not going to lie. The four people that are listed in the cast on Letterboxd are some of four weird looking cats. I love it. Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy was the name I saw. Yeah. Well, she, she, uh, she dropped out. Oh, she did. did she? Okay. Yeah. She's not in it anymore. Hey, so do you guys remember as a kid, uh, Nickelodeon did that Smell-O-Vision thing? Yes. yes. So they did uh, Smell-O-Vision for that um, that Rugrats and Wild Thornberries movie where, uh, and I remember that this came out right before my birthday, so I probably went and saw it on my birthday, where they gave you like a little card where like when they would show like an icon on the card in the movie, you would scratch and sniff and I guess it would like transport you into the, the movie or something. It was like it was like a a four D ride before four D rides. Right. So I just sent you guys uh, in our group chat. There's this great Australian uh, Blu-ray distributor, the um, imprint. Holy! Oh, shit. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's this imprint called Umbrella. Uh, Holy this Australian cow. imprint called Umbrella, and they just announced tonight because there's the time difference and everything. So it's tomorrow. There, they're releasing the original live action Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which I think we all loved when we were children, and it's coming. What do you mean when we were children? I love it now. <laughs> I know you do, and it's it's called Stinko Vision, and it's coming with a scratch and sniff card. Oh my which god! I think is awesome. That rules. That is that's good. I love it. Yeah, they just announced it last night. Stinko Vision, a scratch and sniff cinematic experience. <laughs> I'm gonna I have think, to get that. I, well, you got to import it from Australia. Yeah. I mean, chances are some somebody local will have it, like Diabolic or a Grindhouse or somebody. You'll be able to get it, but it's it's such a great gimmick. Yeah, that, yeah, that, a that's such a good movie to do it too. Mm-hmm. Well, you you can even zoom in and look at like the uh, the different smells. Yeah, yeah. number two is pizza. Mm-hmm. Number five is the marijuana. Right, your favorite. <laughs> number eight is what I could only assume is a blue campfire, based on what I'm looking at. Seven is toothpaste. Minty fresh. Four seems to be the secret of the ooze. The secret is, is that it smells like oranges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
glad Mike Mike slowly smiled for that, and I'm very happy that somebody enjoyed that. <laughs> That's stupid. Um, it's so dumb. This whole thing. You guys watch anything good lately? Nope. <laughs> you know, I I really haven't watched like anything all that great uh, this hmm. month so far. Like I watched. Um, Jewel and I both watched uh, How to Steal a Million with um, Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole, which oh, yeah. was a lot of fun and, like, great to look at. But it's one of those things from those, like, 60s uh, movies, like, of this nature, like, it was a William Wyler, where the thing was, like, two hours long and it easily could have been 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, like it's just dragged out for some reason and that kind of, like, takes away from it some. Yeah. It's but, like comedies from now that are two hours and oh 10 minutes God, for I no know. reason when they should be 90. Yeah. Yeah. Also watched for the first time, we've been diving into some, like, mid, early to mid-90s animation that either, like, say, like, I saw once or that we never saw or anything. So we watched Balto. Remember Balto? That, that like, snow I dog? Had, half I had the dog clamshell. Hmm? I had the clamshell. Oh, the VHS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we also watched Anastasia, which was great. I'd never seen Anastasia before. Dude, I need to watch it because I used to love it when I was little and like and that, I just I can't, I got nothing I got that no, Don Bluth style animation still holds yeah. up yeah yeah I gotta I gotta that's a that's a good like I need to rewatch I need to revisit nowadays because I, I remember right. loving it and I know as soon as I watch it it'll all come flooding back obviously because I'm watching it <laughs> yeah. um yeah no that that's a good one well, also, especially because you and I are such, like, animation goofs, too. Yes. You know, it, it's, it, it looks incredible still. Hell with yeah. With this thing something. Hell yeah. Also, just but before whoever goes on next, I just wanted to say also, because I know, Chris, I think you liked... I watched last week... Uh, we watched Star 80? Yeah, so... Did not I saw like you it. didn't like it. It's a visceral movie. Did um, not, I, well, a I lot viscerally of it... didn't like it. A lot of it, I think, was, um, in my opinion, I thought Eric Roberts was unbelievable in it. He's very good in it, yes. Yeah, um, so that's a lot of it. Uh, I think it is, like I said, it is a, a, an extremely disturbing movie. I don't know that I put a like. I know I put four stars because I thought it was a well-made, like, good movie that I will never, ever, ever see again <laughs> because it is I mean... a disturbing fucking film. I think there's a line between, uh, you know, like a a good, enjoyable movie on bad subject matter, or just an yeah. unpleasant movie, and I yeah. think this was just uh, unpleasant. Um, Marielle Hemingway as Dorothy Stratton, I thought was like a pretty bad performance. Um, yeah. Cliff Robertson as Hugh Hefner, uh, <laughs> just. Uh, just uh, Frank, yeah. I don't know if you know, that's who was Uncle Ben in the Sam Raimi movies. Yeah, that's, so, that's an insane so, I mean, Yeah, I gave it four stars. My review is one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen. Did, did not I like that Josh Mostel popped up for like a scene. Um, but uh, yeah, just got it from the library. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to put like a like a post-it note in there warning people. You know, like don't <laughs> don't bother. Be right? careful. Right. <laughs> And you know, I love, like, I mean, Fosse did all that jazz, and that's one of my all-time favorites. Well, it's, just... it's, it's very unlike anything else in his filmography. Did not, did not yeah. do it for me. 
And it's a strange close to his career as he died like a couple of years after he made that. Um, but just kind of a, a, a downer ending to a otherwise great career. Frank, you said you haven't really watched anything, right? No. Um, a quick highlight. I watched uh, Play Misty for Me, which is Clint Eastwood's directorial debut. It was a TV movie. Um, it's such a, like, it came out in 71. So you're talking, like, the height of Clint Eastwood being the guy. Like, this is mm-hmm. fresh off of Western Eastwood. This is, like, right as... Um, um, Dirty Harry's coming out. Like, mm-hmm. he is the dude. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to play a radio disc jockey who gets into, like, a relationship with this crazy lady who then tries to kill him. Like, it's real weird. It's not, he's not playing, like, he's not playing to his type at all. It's real weird. Um, I think that, like, the fact that my review was, I think the fact that this came out as his directorial debut, smack in the middle of him being the guy, makes me like it more than anything than the, in the film itself. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what's so cool about it. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense for that guy at that time to make this movie as his directorial debut. It's very um, I gave Wanted a rewatch. Uh, I haven't oh, seen yeah. Wanted probably since it first came out. And 4K release like next it. month. Yes. From Shop Factory. Cannot wait. Um, and then, like, in theaters, I saw Babylon last month. I saw Fableman's last month. Loved both of them. They're great. Fableman's is so um, fucking good. Banshees of... Uh, please, somebody say it. I, I just Sharon? Thank you. Yeah. Incredible. I, I just watched it. Unbelievable. It. Dude, so good. Okay. So good. So fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the, yes. the way that, the way that uh, McDonough like his script works with the repeating words and different inflections yep. uh, for repeatedly Incredible. is so goddamn funny. Um, and then the tone shift is a super fact. Just a good movie about men who can't express their feelings. Yeah. It, it's yeah. so good. Uh, it also, not that any of us could relate to that. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm dying to go watch in Bruges again. Cause that just, I think the 15th anniversary of that coming out was like two mm. days ago. I'm due for a rewatch of that. I've never seen In Bruges. I you love that, Frank, right? I love In Bruges. I've it's only one seen of it once, and it didn't totally do anything for me, so I need to watch it again. I do love it. I love it so much. And now, especially now, I haven't seen it in a while, and just watched uh, In a Sharon. Oh, my God. I can't wait to give that a revisit. <laughs> but, yeah, that, like I haven't watched that much. I gotta, I legit haven't watched a movie in, like, three weeks. What about you, Chris? You watch anything good? Uh yeah, watched uh Tar, which mm. was oh, yeah. incredible. Do need to um, watch that. Very excited for that. Yeah, I mean everybody's glowing reviews. Tar is incredible. Um, unbelievable performance by Kate Blanchett. Like maybe the best of her career, which is absolutely saying something. Um, and just it's sort of like a, a fever dream. Like the the way that the narrative structure works, where. Uh, you know, I don't want to say a whole lot because Frank hasn't seen it, but just uh, really fucking great. Um, yeah, Banshees of Inisherin, uh watched that. We knocked at the cabin. Um, the new Netflix documentary, Pamela, A Love Story, the Pam Anderson documentary, is really, really good. 
Um, I heard that's really. I probably heard it from you, to be honest. Yeah, it's really fantastic <laughs> and sad. Like the amount of stuff that she's been through in terms of the men in her life and trauma from her early life and the way she was treated by the media and everything. Uh, you know, it really kind of goes into depth and how differently she was treated in comparison to Tommy Lee when the sex tape leaked. And it's like really just sort of points at the sexism and like slut shaming that's rampant in the world. Um, and uh, rewatched eyes wide shut uh, yesterday, which is uh, a goddamn masterpiece. And the fact that when it came out, it was so uh, v- viewed so negatively uh, is baffling to me how somebody could watch that and be like, oh, man, Stanley really lost his fastball here. He, this is all over the place is just one of the dumbest things that anybody could say. And the movie you know, killed him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this, too, because I, um, I just watched this past week. Uh, this is documentary, Stanley Kubrick, Life in Pictures, that I got on DVD at this great little record shop in Kingston, New York, Rhino Records had a great, like, well-curated film selection. And I picked up this doc there. And, of course, that was in November, so I finally watched it now at the beginning of February. And <laughs> it was really hey, good. You, it, you got me beat by about 20 months on the things that I buy. Well, I'm trying to stay ahead of you. Yeah. Um, it's not streaming anywhere. Uh, but I do have a DVD, so if you guys wanted to see it, I could maybe rip it. Um, it's really good. It's a great watch. Uh, it it's not like the most in-depth thing that you're going to see because it does cover each film and it's like, it's like two hours, 20 minutes or so. So it is long, but like there's a decent amount of filmography to get through, you know? So it'll, it's just kind of portioned out chronologically, but it's all narrated by Tom Cruise. Hell yeah. Oh, wow. It came out in 2001. So it's very shortly after his passing. Wow. Um, Because he passed in what, 99, I think? Yes. So, right. yeah, right. Like four days after screening the finished product, mm-hmm. um, well, I was ask if it was the finished product. Yeah, or not. yeah. Uh, it was screened it for Warner finished. Brothers and then croaked right after. Right. So yeah. they, they've got uh, they've got interviews with you know everybody in this thing. Um, Cruz, Kidman, Nicholson, Duvall, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Modine, uh, Leon Vitale, who has a documentary about himself now too. Uh, Scorsese, Spielberg, you know, uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell. Holy cow. Uh, it's, it's, it was, I, I guess, like the definitive, like, retrospective project at the time. Mm. Great watch, uh, well worth watching. Um, and watching that made me re- want to rewatch Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. You and I are kind of on, like, two sides of that coin that I watched this. I wanted to watch it. And now you watch that. And I don't know, maybe you want to see this documentary now. <laughs> I, I definitely do, yeah. Um, also, Cruz rules in Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. yeah. Such yeah. a good performance. And you guys said, yeah, in the exact same way at the exact same time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, because he does. Um, yeah, no, just so fucking good. Um, and I, I, a, a funny story that was told on a, a recent podcast about Eyes Wide Shut, like, I mean, obviously, if anybody knows of Kubrick, his whole thing is he would film stuff, he would do 100 takes of every fucking scene, because he just never knew what he wanted from it. And apparently, there's one scene where on the 80th take, Cruz, like, 
comes to Stanley at the end of the take, it nearly in tears, just like, Stanley, I, I need you to just tell me what you want from me. I don't know what you want. I'm trying every, what do you want me to do? Just tell me and I'll do it. And Stanley's like, I don't really know. Uh, just, just do whatever. I'll figure it out. I'll see it at the. Uh, I'll see it in post. <laughs> see whatever I want then. <laughs> they, they talk about that a lot in the in the documentary too. Um, I, I forget who it was that was saying it. Uh, I don't think it was Cruz, but they talk about how Stanley very much. He would say, "I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want." Mm-hmm. Was you it get, Shelley yeah. Duvall? <laughs> <laughs> But you get so many like uh, like readings in in his movies. I mean, like apparently, so much of George C. Scott's performance uh, in Doctor Strangelove is him like on those like last like those last like ten takes that they did because he's just fucking exhausted and he's just goofing around at that point because apparently he gave a very serious performance and was. Uh, allegedly furious at what the finished product was because he's like, he made a fucking joke of me. I'm this, I'm a thespian and he made me look like a goddamn, a goddamn joke. And then like, you look at like Nicole Kidman and eyes wide shut. And she's like, Oh, did, did uh, when you're feeling her titties, like <laughs> that's the line read that you do when you're on your hundredth take and you're fucking tired and you don't know what he wants anymore. And some of it is magic. Like George C. Scott's performance in Dr. Strangelove is maybe the funniest performance ever committed to screen. Uh, like, yeah, Frank. Yes. Uh, so if it's, <laughs> I need to, I need to revisit Dr. Strangelove the same way. It took me a while to get into 2001. Mike and Dr. I both didn't love it. Dr. Yeah. Strangelove. I don't love it. I got to, Oh, you don't love it either. Okay. I got to give it another try. Because like 2001, I used to just not like, not like, not like. But I always found myself like, I should give it another chance. No, I was bored to fucking tears by 2001. No, dude, 2001 now? I just watched it. I just watched it. No, you got to give it like, give it like six months to a year and one day you're going to be bored and you're going to like see it on streaming or something. And you're going to be like, uh-huh. I should give this another chance. Like that's always what would happen is I'd be mm. like, man, I've been thinking about 2001 a lot and it's right here. Let me watch it. And then one day you're going to be like, Oh, there it is. Ah, you got me Stanley. So I think I got to give that treatment to Dr. Strangelove because mm. dude, he 2001 has completely turned around on me. I fucking love it now. No, I didn't love Strangelove. I loved George C. George C. Scott in it. Um, I, I don't think that, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, my thing is, I don't know that I'm a, uh, Peter Sellers guy. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I think his Strangelove performance is bad. Uh, and I also don't care for the character. Um, I, I like, it. yeah, it's so much is like very, uh, I feel like so much of it is very heavy handed and it's satire in like talking about how, you know, adopting, you know, post-World War Two and in the Cold War adopting like German technologies would lead to fascism. I don't, I don't need you to tell me that by having Peter Sellers do a funny voice and stand up and do a Nazi salute. I, I fucking get it. Uh, like, and then I, it, to the point that I said to Maria, like I, we watched and I was like, I kind of want to take a break from satires for right now. And then the next day I was like, Hey, do you want to watch the menu? It's the satire. About- <laughs> 
the next day you're like, hey, you want to watch Blazing Saddles? <laughs> hey guys, so um, before we bring this to a close, um, in the December 1996 episode of Monday Night Nitro, uh, Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan at the time, said that Francis Ford Coppola called me and our friend Dave, who uh, long time first time, wants to know if we think that old Francis Ford actually called the Hulkster. Not a chance. I bet you all the money in my wallet. How much is that? I think my wallet is currently empty outside of debit card and credit card. Okay. (laughs) All Um, right, so Frank, where can the people follow us? uh, So you're going to follow us at FeetPressPod, F-E-A-T-P-R-E-S-P-O-D, on Twitter and on Instagram. The Instagram is back up and running. Uh, We promise to post more on there. Obviously, if you've been following the account, if you've been following the account, you should see there's a couple of posts from our December uh, Bull Moose Hall. Shout out to Bull Moose. Shout out to – I think that Bull Moose trip is what really rekindled our need to get this pod out Mm -hmm. once again. So shout out to Bull Moose. Yeah, 10 hours in a car that day and just talking about this stuff. We were like, we got to record these things. Yeah. Um, this is so, yeah, gold we're wasting here. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We promise we'll do a little bit more. Uh, Mike doesn't have to edit the podcast, so maybe he'll post more on the Twitter. So he does, and then I'll edit, so I don't get yelled at as much. So there's that. Uh, by the way, so when the editing sucks compared to how it used to be, uh, sorry, <laughs> Mike. Mike was very good at that, and I am very good at it, but also very very lazy. So, um, and. Like boys, I I think we should be a little transparent with our with our listening audience. We're just getting our feedback under us. We decided like three days ago we're gonna start doing this again for real, for real. I and then we recorded yeah. tonight. Like give give us give us a couple episodes to get it. We'll get it under an hour. This this was just us getting our sea legs. We're doing every other week. It's not every week. We're go- um, yes, we're going every other week. So see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Bye. I think that that's pretty much it. Bye. Bye.